0: Hello again. This is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor, coming to you again with another Battleground PA podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And today we have Republican political analyst Jeffrey Lord and Rajette Harris, Democratic political commentator. Both of them are with us in the studios and they're raring to talk. We'll be talking today about their thoughts on the impeachment hearings now underway on Capitol Hill. And we'll be asking them also to weigh in on the latest information about the new candidates in the Democratic field for President of the United States. Stay tuned. This is Battleground B.A a live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, we're getting ready for our next Battleground PA podcast. If you'd like to comment, send us a message at Battleground PA on Twitter or Facebook. And please make sure you subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. You also can email us at topics at battleground pa so jeffrey lord and Rajette harris welcome again to our studios
1: good to be here
0: great why don't we just jump in i know you guys are like me you're following every second that you can of what's going on in washington and against, on our against our will against <laughs> actually i'm i'm actually mesmerized by this whole thing i i mean i think we have history in the making good or bad, whatever side it comes down, we are experiencing history. I mean, do yes. you disagree with that? No. No.
1: Absolutely. It is history. This process has only been done for Andrew Johnson, Richard Nixon, who quit before it got into yep. full yep. steam, and Bill Clinton. So I uh,
0: sometimes wonder if should he have quit considering what we're seeing now? Maybe he would have yeah. stayed in office, right? I mean, you never know.
1: You know, I think it was Geraldo Rivera who observed the other day that if Richard Nixon had had Sean Hannity and Fox and talk radio, conservative talk radio, it might have ended differently. And that's oh. an interesting thought. Well, the
2: Republican Party was different back then, too. They actually, you know, stood for principles. <laughs> Touché. <laughs> Sing.
1: <laughs> so we're off to our running start here this we're morning.
0: <laughs> but let me, let me throw this out at you. One of the things we were concerned about the last time we talked about this was would people be paying attention? Would they be watching? And it does look at least like engaged citizens are really taking this seriously and tuning in. That's the latest. I think there was a poll that's just come out that shows that people really are paying attention, even though everybody can't stay on it 24 hours like us, but people
2: really realize this is important. I mean, that should be helpful to the Democrats, I would think, Rajat, huh? What I thought was interesting with the polls is that people are paying attention But no one's minds have changed yet. Yeah. That's what the polls are showing. So I'm curious to see as we move forward, are people going to be more open-minded and listening to the testimony, or are they just going to kind of stay stuck in what side they started on? Well, is it stuck,
0: or Jeffrey, or is it that people are really just, they're a blank slate now? They really are open-minded, ready to hear what evidence there is.
1: The numbers I found interesting the most were that the television audience was overwhelmingly watching Fox News. Mm. They were not watching the broadcast networks. They were not watching CNN or MSNBC. I think that in itself is a message.
0: Well, yeah, but I've been watching Fox News as well. And I have to say, I could not criticize at least the coverage of what's there. They've been... Oh, giving yeah, the, the good, they the bad, have. and the ugly. I mean, uh, you know, so people are at least hearing what's coming out. And let me just say, uh, today, at least, I mean, I don't know what's going to be uh, later in the week, but we've heard some compelling testimony. I mean, like it or not, you have people uh. stepping, well, <laughs> you don't like it, that's good. But you do have people who I think we should respect. I mean, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vidman. he's a Purple Heart honoree. He's was the top Ukrainian expert at the National Security Council. We have Jennifer Williams, a senior aide to v- Vice President Pence, who is herself an expert, coming forward to express their at least discomfort, if not alarm, at what was going on. I mean, you don't feel that um, these are issues
2: that will make people wonder if about the White House? Well, they're very credible, mm-hmm. extremely credible, and they're all not Democrats. Um, so the Republicans can't say that. The Democrats are just throwing partisan people to testify against the president, Um, especially when you brought up uh, Jennifer Williams, um, which her testimony – it's going to be very interesting because it could bring the vice president Pence back into the discussion. That is interesting. Okay, Jeff, I know you're
0: chomping at the bit. <laughs> Go right ahead.
1: I have to say, I look at these people and I see deep state.
0: I mean, honestly, the, really? Uh, uh, you, well, you having do... worked
1: having worked in in government, yeah. in House, Senate, White House, cabinet level, I've seen people like this all of my professional so, career. So
0: let's stop right here. Let's define what is deep
1: state. Sure. The deep state are professional bureaucrats Uh who have come to the belief early on that they and they alone and not the American people and certainly not the president of the United States, are the people who run the government and more to the point should run the government.
0: I see. So this is not necessarily a conspiracy of people getting together and oh, no, holding no, no, secret. No. They're just people with a mindset.
1: Correct.
2: I get it. Group, okay. Group is that thinking. your understanding of deep state? That, that's my understanding. But to me, that's just another distraction. I have yet to to hear you speak on the substance of what has been said so far and what we expect well, I read to hear. The,
1: I read the transcript of the call. There's no there there. The famous call between President Trump and the president of Ukraine. I, so what? I mean. But
2: what about the substance of what the testifiers are saying? Well, there. are What all, about uh, the ambassador accusing the president of witness tampering, well, of well, that, that's intimidating his, her? Yeah
1: that, that oh.
0: Please. No, no, no! But that's now. I, I look, you know, I worked in U.S. international broadcasting, so that caused me to work very closely with people in embassies around the world. Sure, and these folks really know what they're doing, and they have some of the do high, they? Yes, they do, because they're on the ground. They are daily talking with first government officials. I mean, I was based in Prague. And we dealt regularly with the embassy, with the U.S. I, embassy. I, under,
1: I understand, Joyce, but their name was never on a ballot.
0: No, but that doesn't mean they don't have expertise that well, should be well, respected.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's well, the whole point. They weren't voted in; they had
0: qualifications that got them to well, the job. Well, well and
2: well, plus, well, you don't. working in government too, you know, it's not always the one on the ballot that does all the work either. But well, you have sure, concerns. You that, have
1: uh, you have yeah. staff, but but I don't yeah. make the decisions for the congressman, the senator, the president. Uh, They do. Their name is on the ballot. They make the decision.
0: So you have concerns that people who are career service people or career diplomats sometimes believe or often believe or always believe that they know more and should be in control of policy correct. and don't have to follow an elected official, including the president. You think that's oh, an issue? Correct. And mm-hmm. it's not
1: it's not, you know, let's all get in a room and conspire. This is this is group thinking. This is the way bureaucrats in general think. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, let's face it this this particular president happens to be, uh, you know, a businessman. The Out la- of the box. The last the last one was a Chicago politician. The one before that was a Texas politician. Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer from Georgia. I mean, the the mindset. With these folks is always there because they see these people as temporary, they're outsiders by definition, and because of their expertise, they think I know better than you do. Yeah. And to
2: me, that has nothing to do with the hearings. Um, first of all, the ambassador worked under Republican and Democratic presidents, so I think that says a lot about her. Uh, secondly, again, we're not talking about the the substance; we're talking about the position of the individuals. We're not talking about the fact that the president practically uh, bribery, which is an impeachable offense as far as asking a foreign country to get involved with a future election to do investigations against political- The president
1: of the United States has to ask, according to treaty with Ukraine, for cooperation with criminal matters. Corruption by a sitting vice president of the United States has to be investigated.
0: So you think that because that—honestly, trying to look at this as, you know, cross the board, fair as possible—you think the president believed firmly that Joe Biden was involved in his capacity as vice president in corruption. And so that's why that's the only person he mentioned, really. That's the only issue he mentioned other than the Democratic Party, uh, the elections— because he thought this was so profoundly important when
1: you're bringing your your lobbyist influence peddling son with you on official trips like to China where he gets intro to all kinds of uh, chinese vip's and then 2 weeks later walks away with a multi-zillion dollar Business deal with some of these, uh, you know, with the bank with the Bank of China. But wasn't, yeah. all of this,
0: wasn't all of this investigated? And I mean, people actually looked into this and found there was. Well, I don't you know, there was a reputable investigation to this, and they found there was I mean, nothing untoward at all. Hunter
1: Biden himself says he had, in terms of Ukraine, he has no expertise in energy. He also he, did. He, he I think, apologize,
2: right? They did admit that that wasn't exactly. That's true. But again, we're missing the point. Everyone who is testifying before these hearings, including Republicans, such as Jennifer Williams, who's an aide to uh, the vice president, thinks that what the president did was inappropriate.
1: Thanks. Her opinion.
2: Well, we Not, all have opinions. Well, of correct. Course. Correct. And but you don't the impeach is, the
1: president of the United States based on somebody's opinion. But
2: the point is, you don't get foreign countries involved in investigating your political opponents as well.
1: You don't you don't get a pass because you're going to run for president of the United States.
2: I agree. You don't get a pass just because you are the president of the United States, which is why we're going through these hearings as we are. So. So, I, I, so here's where we stand now. We've definitely
0: have some disagreement on how we're interpreting things as we look at this. Right. And I think this mirrors the American public. We have to concede that there are people who look at this, who look at what the a president is accused of doing, which is trying to use his influence to gather dirt on a political opponent. People look at that and they see that. But other people look at it and they said, no, he's just trying to root out corruption, right? Right. These are legitimately two different However, one of the things that I think we should talk about, and that is the ambassador to Ukraine and, and um, who was removed from her post and um, felt herself. I mean, I felt because I've worked with these folks. She and felt. I know. But it's important. She felt intimidated by the president when, when he tweeted and she well, felt.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wo- wo- First of all, she had no idea of that tweet. None. No, but she was told that at the uh, event. Ah, so, so, so the was, who was trying to intimidate the pub- Adam Schiff?
0: No, but the public <laughs> knew of this and it was out there. But the, it wasn't. But even she sh- didn't. But it wasn't just that; it was how she was treated the whole time of cut- smearing her name. I mean, you can't- Barack
1: Obama fired every single Bush ambassador, right? Fired them all.
0: I think she said it wasn't that she had a concern with being fired. She knew he has the right to do that but that her reputation was being smeared as well. Isn't isn't that of some concern to at least treat oh our... No, I'm wondering if it, is it If you're concern? a public
1: figure, which an ambassador is, right. you're in the public eye and, you know, you're going to be, quote, you're gonna unquote, be smeared. You're going to be criticized. Criticized. But not
0: necessarily by your president. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, normally the president supports our men and women overseas, including those who are in diplomatic service.
2: I mean... I, that caused, I think, people a little bit of concern. But the president has been tempering with this whole process by uh, telling his aides, by telling um, other individuals to ignore subpoenas. I know if, if I ignored a subpoena that was given to me by Congress, I would be in jail right now. So this witness tempering has been occurring from the entire process. I mean, it's what it's, it's not got- just with the ambassador, what- but he's telling people not to appear uh, right. He's, the um, he's telling people head of the not to test. Well, no, because he has something to hide, and if they testify, he knows it's going to come out. I'm a firm believer. If you have nothing to hide, if 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 you did nothing wrong, then my grandma used to always say, "What you do in the dark eventually comes out in the exactly. light." And he's so, he's you know, continue- am, he's I trying am, to
1: keep it in the dark. I am very very pleased to hear that you now agree that Hillary Clinton should be summoned and testify and prosecuted for her We can e- talk about emails. Hillary later,
0: but let's stay focused right now on what well, we've got enough on our plate here with this. But let's, let's talk about this. The other thing that I think we're, we're looking at here is this guy, David Holmes, who claims that he overheard a conversation between um, Ambassador to the EU Gordon Sondland and uh, President Trump that was being done in, uh, in a restaurant, apparently. I mean, even when I, even when I was a spokesperson for the mayor, I made sure I didn't have conversations with him in the restaurant. <laughs> you know that you know it, it, to keep things as quiet. What is that about? I mean, did, did what, any comments what the, what, on that?
1: What this is is the adult version of the kids' game of what was it? Telephone. Yeah. Where where you have a a line of kids and the first person starts something out, and by the time it gets to the end, it's entirely. So different. you think
0: he he misinterpreted what he heard, or he didn't hear what he thought? Well, he heard. I think
1: it's all hearsay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, he said.
0: Yep, yep. He 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 is saying what he thought he heard. That's true. That's true. So as we're listening to all of these testimonies, what are your thoughts? I mean, your thoughts are still, uh, Jeffrey, honestly, that it seems like it's a witch hunt, that there's nothing there. Yes. There's no there there. But what do you say to people, millions of Americans? You know, frankly, uh, Rojette, what do you say to those people who really still don't see anything there? And Jeffrey, what do you say to the millions of people who say, but I... I feel uncomfortable. I would like a little
2: higher ethical standards in the White House. Well, I think people need to listen to the witnesses. Um, I think they need to listen to them closely. I think they need to, whether they agree with them or not, these are very credible individuals. Um, The Republicans are trying to discredit them. Um, They have not been able to um, at this time. And they're putting a lot on the line, in my opinion, by coming forward as publicly as they are. All of their stories are being corroborated. Um, They're all in line with what the whistleblower was saying. So there's no reason to think that they're doing anything but telling the truth. So I would tell all of these Americans, these voters, to listen to what they have to say. And most importantly, such as the conversation we're having, a lot of what, what was spoken about to me is a complete distraction bringing up Hillary Clinton again. We need to move on. That was all investigated.
1: The it wasn't results investigated.
2: was what it is. And most importantly, she's not the president. Donald Trump is. Oh, I so, see. So
1: I can commit a crime as long as I'm a private citizen.
2: This has nothing to do with committing a crime. She was investigated a, a long time ago. It's in a previous podcast we brought up I brought up about the emails. Her emails, it was a horrible thing. Donald Trump's daughter uses her personal email account. It, it's okay. That's why I'm saying we need to tell people, ignore all of these distractions, ignore all these smoke screens and focus on what these hearings is about, which is whether or not the president is now openly using foreign countries to get involved and, you know, tamper with another uh, presidential election. So, Jeffrey, what do
0: you say, though, honestly, because there are independents, there are people who are really trying to keep an open mind. What do you say when they, when they say, but, but this doesn't seem right?
1: This president was elected to stir things up, to do things differently. I can tell you, again, having been there, Washington, D.C. is the ultimate groupthink town.
0: I thought you and- were going to say swamp.
1: <laughs> well, swamp. <laughs> <Yeah>. Having written <laughs> Swamp Wars, it is a swamp. Which mm-hmm. is
2: bigger than ever.
1: And it is bigger than ever. And this is exactly the problem here. I mean, when the president of the United States is sworn in on January 20th, 2017, this president, and the Washington Post is already that day running an article that the move to impeach him has begun, what does that tell you? It tells you that this is part and parcel of a mindset. They don't like a disruptor. They want business as usual. They want the status quo. And they're going to do anything and everything, as the attorney for the whistleblower said, to do a coup. So let's,
2: let's, let's. But you backtrack, though. You just said when you're a public figure, you're going to have detractors. Oh, sure. He's a public figure. He's a public figure now, so he's going to have detractors. That doesn't mean that you give your detractors um, ammunition to go against. There's a you. difference between he causes a lot of his own problems. There, there's
1: a difference between being a detractor, if you will, and criticizing somebody and saying on the day he's sworn in that you have to find a way to throw him out of office.
2: President Obama had the same thing. I mean—
1: I don't remember a move to impeach President Obama.
2: No, we just had— People, including President Trump, saying he was an American citizen and, they're not, and therefore not qualified to be president.
1: Oh, that's an old, one hundred year old. Oh, uh, so
2: that's old. But this stuff with other people. No, are no, no, old. no, no. See, I, this I mean, is that's what criticism. I mean by. Yeah, but he by wasn't smoke impeached. Screens.
1: He wasn't impeached, was he?
2: He didn't give them a reason to impeach him. That's oh. the
1: difference.
2: Oh. Okay, guys. I look <laughs> like I gotta break it up again. Why don't we take a
0: little bit? Thank you to both of you. Let's take a little bit of a break, and we'll come back uh, before we go on to our next topic. though, when we come back, about the Democratic the candidates. Right. I want to talk about the president's health a little bit, to, to really be concerned. Is there a reason for concern? Let's take a break. Okay, we are back. That was a lively first uh, part of this, as it should be. These, these issues are quite uh, important, and we're passionate about them. So Let's talk a little bit. There was some uh, concern, I'm sure, for, for supporters, but also for the country to um, get word that the president uh, perhaps had an irregular visit to the hospital. Is there any concern about how he's doing? I mean, anyone in this situation, I'm sure, would have a little anxiety. <laughs> have you heard anything, that, that, Jeffrey, that we should
1: know? No, about? and I, I, I can share with you that a couple of weeks ago, I was with him for over an hour, sitting right across the desk. He looked perfectly fine to me, looked fine, sounded fine, was energetic, upbeat, offered me a Diet Coke. I don't drink Diet Cokes, but I said yes. (laughs) Bring it to me next time. (laughs) Diet Coke from
0: the – no, I mean, honestly, we've heard these reports. And so uh, it is not unusual that somebody going through this kind of stress in his workload would have – you know, might have an, an issue uh, here and there. He is in the 70s, right? So right. But I just thought we'd put it out there. 70 and, uh, is the
1: new 50, I'm told.
0: I, it seems to be that way. In fact, we have a candidate apparently coming up in the uh, Democratic primary who's 77, you know, basically vying with the others. But uh, let's talk about the new field of the Democratic candidates and what's happening. I was blown away by what's happening with Buttigieg in uh, Iowa. I mean, is
2: that of any surprise at all that he's shot ahead even of uh, the favored Biden? I mean, he shot ahead in Iowa. That doesn't surprise me. You know, where he's from, his issues kind of fits with Iowa. But the national polls still have him way below. A new poll came out uh, recently in South Carolina, and he's still in single digits among African-Americans. And as we all know, you cannot win a Democratic primary race without African-Americans. Well, I
0: heard he was zero among African-American women. Yes.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Which is, right. Which is pretty bad. So right. he's pretty much where he started. And he's going to have to be able to reach out to different groups if he really wants a shot. Um, I think what's actually more interesting uh, this cycle is that I can see three different Democratic candidates winning the first three or four different states. Hmm. And I think the whole idea of Iowa and New Hampshire determine the nominee is not going to be the case this yeah. time.
1: I think you could be right. You know, primaries, just in general, Republican or Democrat, in situations like this, meaning where you've got a heavily favored candidate, Joe Biden this time, Ronald Reagan once upon a time in 1980, somebody can always come out of the blue and upset the Apple cart and for a while get all kinds of headlines. I mean, I certainly remember when then ex ambassador George Bush, not a household name, George H. W. Bush, upended Ronald Reagan in the Iowa caucuses and they thought, oh my, you know, that's the end. And then Reagan went on to win and win and win and win and win and, win and won the nomination. So it it happens. I don't I don't really see anything different here. I mean, we're talking in November. This is going to be we got a long way to go. Sure, but I
0: I think what people um, were looking at everybody's looking for is this, you know, where's the Obama parallel? You know, Obama went to Iowa, right. he sh- you know, made an impression on people and then he became the president. And I think people are looking for that, but it also worries me or concerns me a little that We're not satisfied with who's there. Is that of concern that people are still yearning for some charismatic figure in the Democratic Party that's really going to outshine and and outbox, you know, uh, Donald Trump? And they don't feel they have it yet. Do you think that's the case?
2: um, Each candidate um, has attributes that everyone loves. If we could put them all together.
0: (laughs) That's a good point. And have one super Let's talk about that.
2: I'd like to. That's a
0: good way. What are the attributes that people love about each one of them that would make the perfect candidate? Maybe we'll be able to come up with that.
2: Um, Well, Vice President Biden Mm -hmm. obviously has the experience. And most importantly, he has that, he he is able to bring together different people. He has wide support among people of color. He can appeal to working class whites, such as here in, in Pennsylvania. But one of the I wouldn't say it's a problem, but I think what concerns a lot of people who do want that radical change is that he's more of a status quo type Mm. of candidate, um, that things aren't going to change dramatically. Um, You have someone like, um, you know, Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I actually think if you put their votes together, um, one of them two would probably be in the the top tier. Mm. I mean, the top candidate uh, nationally. Um, They have such I don't want to call them radical, but they have their beliefs. And I think people are tired of uh, politicians. I think that's an issue with Senator Harris, where you kind of go with the poll, Mm. you keep flip flopping on the issue. Um, But Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, they they believe what they believe, and they're sticking to it. And I think people want someone that You know, they they stick to those issues. They are what they believe. If you like it, if you don't, it's that respect that you get from from them. Which is
0: what Trump has. I mean, we know what he is. And and that's
1: why
2: he has a loyal
0: uh, following.
1: Not to date myself, but both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren remind me of George McGovern. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, who in 1972, for those who were not around in 1972, (laughs) um, not that I'm thinking of anybody, (laughs) was uh, far left, both philosophically and out in left field politically, unknown for the most part. But he was seriously anti-war. And the Joe Biden figure of the day was Edmund Muskie, longtime senator from Maine, the uh, vice presidential candidate in 1968 who came pretty close Hmm. The overwhelming favorite of the Democratic establishment, he was upended because you had all these hardcore kids, a lot of them, Mm -hmm. college kids, who were so anti-war and very passionate about it. And they latched on to George McGovern, who was equally so, a very distinguished guy. He was a bomber pilot in World War II and all this well, they upended the whole apple cart and got him nominated.
0: Well, that's right. Those were different times, though. Those were times of a lot of—and and concern about war and about the U.S. I, and I'm California. just saying that, yeah.
1: that, are, that, that I think both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are, are that way. They, they are. Their supporters are seriously passionate about it sure. to, the, to the point that if Joe Biden, like Hillary Clinton, wins the nomination— I think some of them would be so angry that they would just not vote.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that that, that was is an the problem. issue yeah. We had
2: that last time. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that as long as the DNC allows a more fair process, right. don't get involved like last time, I don't think we'll have the issue as much. I think a voice we're definitely going to miss um, in the next Democratic debate, though, is former Secretary of, of HUD, uh, Julian Castro. I think he has an important voice in this debate, and he's speaking of issues that a lot of these other candidates, in my opinion, aren't speaking to. You know, the Democratic Party is very diverse. And another reason why I don't think Iowa and New Hampshire are going to be as prominent this time is they don't represent the United States anymore. Mm. And I think voices like... You mean not diverse enough. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think voices like Julian and uh, Castro are bringing up issues that affect more than just the population of your Iowa and New Hampshire uh, caucuses. But, but speaking of Julian Roget, what
0: what is it about that he did all this attacking of Obama I mean did that help him to I mean he was the one that's out there attacking Obama I mean I'm saying That one debate they all were Well, that's true but he seems <laughs> yeah. to stand out above it all about Good Lord you know, I'm beginning to feel sympathy for President
1: Obama <laughs> I, I Thank guess you, <laughs> But no,
0: really, I mean, did that
2: hurt him that he came out so I mean sometimes quite stridently so I thought he did mm-hmm. um and i I don't know what the purpose yeah. of doing that is, um, well, maybe he he whether or not people um you know like everything President Obama did, he is still the most popular Democrat. Um, when you look at polls, and he's going to be a great Don't asset. tell that to Bill
1: Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: let's talk a little bit. It is a, we can come
0: back and talk, I guess, about Kamala and Booker and why they're not really even galvanizing, you know, the African-American community. I mean, you would think. It would make sense, but they're not. Well, President but, Obama had that trouble when he yeah. ran the first time as well. Well, th- nobody believed it could happen the first time. I mean, why waste your vote? You, I mean, who's going to elect the black man president of the United States, especially with a name like Hussein? I mean, come on. So it, it was just out of the realm of possibility until it became the reality.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and outsider candidates, I mean, again, not to date myself, and I will admit I was in grade school, but political geek that I was... I remember when Democratic politicians said we can't nominate a Roman Catholic who's yeah. also a senator for yeah. president. That's right. I mean that you know we all remember Al Smith and he'll just get clobbered. Well, not so. There's always the first time for, for always something. A first.
0: And, and we're we still waiting
2: now with the female candidates. That's what I was going to say. We're still yeah. waiting
0: for the first female candidate. Right. And really. I, I must say
1: yeah. I always am somewhat amused when I hear my Democratic friends say we have to have a woman president, and I pipe up and say. Sarah Palin. (laughs) Right, right. Another touche here. We're on radio, but Rogette's eyes just practically (laughs) popped out of her head.
0: I almost fainted, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to one other thing that I want to talk about, the new candidates, the new kids on the block. And I was speaking of a 77-year-old who stepped into the race, and that's the former mayor of New York, Bloomberg. So tell us— Tell us about him and how does he how do they think they can come into this thing so late?
2: Well, if you remember, early this year or even late last year, people had been approaching him mm-hmm. on running and he had said no. He didn't want to go on an apology tour, which is kind of funny because this week he Yes. <laughs> he went on that. <laughs> oh, I'm you. so I'm sorry for, for
1: the major plank yes. in my platform. But um,
2: <laughs> you know, that's that's an
0: int- the, the the issue there was the stop and frisk, right? Yes. And honestly, in the black community, in uh, I would say, you know, unanimously, people have thought that was a bad deal.
2: Well, he had no choice. He had to talk about uh, that policy, had to explain it, explain it, and I think apologizing was a good step. But he does bring a lot to—I mean, he was mayor of New York City, Um, being able to manage that, the budgeting, the executive experience that he brings— um obviously is an asset. You know, a lot of people are actually surprised. I am myself that the governors didn't do better um, in the primary at this time. And even when you look at Mayor Pete, yes, he's a mayor, but he's a mayor of a very small college town. Um So it, it is interesting to see who sort of is at the front. Um, Then we look at, you know, former Governor Deval Patrick. I think he also brings a lot, former governor of Massachusetts. I think he brings a lot also uh, to the field. And again, he brings that executive experience. I personally think the two are jumping in because we don't have a lot of that executive experience at the top of the polls right now. Or
0: are they jumping in because we're veering too much to the left?
1: Yeah. One of the things I have to say about Mayor Bloomberg being mayor of New York, and frankly, being a mayor, period, is difficult if you're going to run for president. I mean, in terms of mayors of New York, uh, John Lindsay ran for president and lost. Rudy Giuliani ran and lost. Uh, it doesn't matter what party you're in. Why, why do you think it's hard? Because
0: they don't have a wide enough um, well, support base? I,
1: I, I think it's hard because of precisely what's just happened with Mayor Bloomberg. As mayor, you, you do A, B, or C. I mean, Mayor Buttigieg is having this problem as you say, with the black community because of problems running Mm -hmm. his police department. I mean, these are the kind of problems that a mayor, any mayor, has to deal with. And suddenly you're running for president. The spotlight is on and you're reduced to doing just what Mayor Bloomberg did, which is say, oh, yeah, this was my big policy. And it worked. He's quoted as saying in the day. And now I'm sorry they have for lots it.
0: lots of I mean just like they pulled out on Trump, they pulled out lots of uh, tape and video on Bloomberg yes. saying what a great thing this was and how it saved lives. Exactly. I'm going to tell you that does seem to me to be wishy-washy. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm wrong, you're right. If you're wrong, you come out and say, but it seems like you don't wait till you run for president to right. change your mind.
2: Right. That's
1: right. Yeah, that's right. But you
2: bring up a good point. When you're a mayor or a governor, you have to make decisions. When you're in a legislature, you can make great speeches, <laughs> right. you can just vote yes or no, but you don't really make decisions.
1: Bill Clinton was campaigned against in in democratic circles because, as I recall, he had executed an Arkansas prisoner who was mentally disabled, and he was really criticized. One of the reasons pundits of the day thought he did that was because Michael Dukakis as Governor. Had not done that with uh, various, you know, people in the prison system in Massachusetts, and was severely criticized for it. So Bill Clinton, anticipating this, as it were, pulled the switch. Oh wow! Uh, I mean, that was the criticism of <laughs> wow, the day yeah, within right. Democratic circles. So, right. but but the point is, Rochette is right. When you are the executive, uh, it's a little better if you're a governor, but if you're a mayor, holy smokes!
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what, guys? I, you know I, this is a very momentous occasion here. You guys agree on something? <laughs> you just agreed, right? Well, it's the holiday season. <laughs> it it is, is the holiday is. season. It but, is.
2: you know, just real quick to go back to what I said earlier in the podcast is I think people want people who, if you made a decision, then stick to it. Right. Don't just yeah. well, again, go back. But, again, it's not a que- to me it's not a question of
0: going back. If I do something wrong, I should come up with it. But it shouldn't be when I want someone to do it, shouldn't be a quid pro quo. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know, right. I'm going to apologize so I can get your well, vote. You shouldn't I mean...
2: pander either. Yeah, right. And that's really. something that, you know, the African-American community experiences, unfortunately, every every election year. You know, all of a sudden we'll see elected officials in the churches and <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. coming yeah. around. And, and I think some people may see what Mayor Bloomberg did as another pander. Fo- yeah, I totally agree. His presidential well, right. well, one thing Trump isn't going to do is pander. No. <laughs> so
0: we know that ain't no. going to happen, right? Okay. That's why they
1: thought he couldn't get elected. What's <laughs> yeah. that tell you? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, look, we've had a busy week, and we're going to probably bring you guys back in to talk more impeachment and more about what's going on with the Democratic Party, um, because these are, seem to be the top topics for our politics. So I thank you again for joining us. Any closing? Uh, warnings to our listeners about what they can expect this week.
1: Lots of fireworks. I'm not sure they'll mean much. And I would be remiss if I didn't say Happy Thanksgiving.
0: Very good. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, you've got it. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your family. And join us soon for another Battleground PA.
1: This was
0: Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an
2: idea for an episode? Tweet us at BattlegroundPA or email us at topics at BattlegroundPA.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com.
0: Battleground PA is hosted by PennLive's opinion and editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. For more info and past episodes, visit us at BattlegroundPA.org.